This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. All right, welcome back to Energy Sense, an S&P Global podcast covering all things on the intersection of energy and finance. This is your host, Hill Vaden, and I'm here today with Andres Rojas to discuss LNG markets. Andres, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. And we are sitting here together in an office in Houston. Normally, these podcasts are recorded between geographies, so this is the, the, the closest conversation we've had on recording recording in some time. So we'll see how it goes. Back in the office. Back in the office. So, so I guess just to get a couple things out of the way that this, uh, if people uh, want to reach out for more information on either the LNG coverage that Andres is talking about today uh, or to participate in the conversation here on Energy Sense, the email address is energysense at ihsmarket.com. You'll find it in the liner notes. And we will also put information in the liner notes uh, about the LNG coverage from S&P Global. Um, and more ways to engage with Andres and other experts at IHS. So now that's out of the way, we will go into the topic, which is FSRUs, which stands for Floating Storage and Regasification Units. Yes. And uh, Andres, you and many of your colleagues published a paper, I guess, about what, two weeks ago or a month yeah, ago? Yeah, a few weeks ago. Yeah. On the perhaps somewhat expected tightness in, in the global FSRU market on the back of the unexpected Ukraine conflict and obviously gas supply constraints out there. Could, could you kind of outline the situation of what's going on in the FSRU market today and, and how that compares to, to when things were, say, perhaps more normal? Yeah. So obviously with the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict, there was a significant spike in demand for these, uh, for these units, which are basically regasification units stacked on top of the top side of the, a vessel and using the uh, so they use the uh, existing uh, storage capacity of the vessel to store LNG and then the top side uh, regas equipment to regasify it and then send it uh, into the grid so these were kind of a great solution for the situation in Europe right now where they've been cut off from Russian gas pipelines. They've been basically Russian gas pipelines been cut by 50% when you look at it on a year over year basis. So these were kind of the obvious uh, solution. And these are basically ships, right? That that an LNG tanker can pull up beside and then unload its cargo into the FSRU. Yes. So a ship either purpose built FSRU or an older LNG tanker that was uh, retrofitted. Okay. So right now, the ones that are being kind of pegged for these projects are the purpose-built FSRUs because they tend to be on the larger side of regas capacity and storage capacity. So you have this vessel with regas equipment on top, on the top side, uh, anchored at port, and then that connects to the grid via pipeline. Mm -hmm. And then the LNG carrier uh, coming from the supply country, you know, the United States, Nigeria, Algeria, wherever, wherever it's coming from, will pull up alongside and offload its cargo onto the FSRU into its storage tanks and uh, regas, regasify that LNG as needed. Okay. Yeah. And there's what, 48, is that right? 48 globally? There's, there's, right now, there's 48 existing uh, FSRUs uh, made up of either purpose-built FSRUs 
and retrofits. And on the order books, uh, we only have at the moment, we have one that's going, it's a, a conversion also, an existing LNG tanker that's being retrofitted, but no new uh, purpose-built FSRUs on the order books right now. And, and, that, was, and that's part of the uh, the tightness uh, mm-hmm. right now, because that's um, the LNG shipping market, the new build market, which includes FSRUs, uh, has gone through this quite bullish few years of increased uh, or new build orders. And okay. that's and that's um, absorbed a lot of the uh, yard capacity at shipyards. So right now we're looking at if a, a LNG tanker or an FSRU is ordered today, delivery date, we're looking at mid 2026. So okay. that's uh, kind of um, if you're uh, if you're a European country looking for an FSU, you're you're in a tight spot. You'll be, yeah, be waiting for a while. And what was capacity like? So, so if there was 48 before the Ukraine war began, what was the average capacity? I mean, were people were half of them being used any given day? Yeah, so or all of them being used every day? So the good thing about FSUs, people tend to look at them as part of the LNG shipping market because they can trade as a conventional tanker. They can go load cargoes and then sail and to a to an onshore regas terminal and un, and, and unload their cargo there. So they're, they're pretty flexible. They can trade as conventional LNG tankers, but we, we shouldn't view FSUs as just part of the LNG shipping market. These are essentially floating regas units. Mm-hmm. These were they were purpose built or retrofit for projects. When you look back at all the different FSU, the 48 FSUs, they're they're built for specific projects. A few might have been built on a speculative basis when rates were quite high. Okay. You would see um, a few uh, ship owners who were a little gutsy would go out there and, you know, these are $250 million uh, units. They'd go out there and, and spec build uh, an FSRU. But for the most part, these were all purpose built for specific projects. And would uh, they stay, therefore, in a specific geography generally, or would they move around to whoever needed? So it depends. So you have so one of the first movers in this space was Accelerate Energy, and they built these FSRUs that were going to be utilized. And uh, there's three projects at the time. There was U.S. Gulf uh, Gateway. Uh, they had the Northeast Gateway up in the Boston area, and then they had a T-side project in the U.K. Mm-hmm. And they were going to utilize their fleet of LNG, uh, FSRUs to um, load cargoes and then deliver at those locations. So those were dedicated to the to those uh, three projects. And then you had other, you know, you had other entrants into the market with with Hogue and with and BW uh, building FSRUs that were going to be situated in certain terminals and be fixed there okay. as a permanent FSRU. A lot of these projects didn't come to fruition. A lot of them were, uh, they utilized FSRUs for a shorter period than they expected. So there was a period in time where we were seeing a portion of the FSRU fleet trading as conventional LNG tankers because they weren't needed as FSRUs. Okay. Uh, so there was there was a period of time where we saw a portion of the fleet just trading conventional ta- as conventional tankers. Uh, some of the fleet was stationed long-term in uh, certain projects. Some of the fleet, uh, a portion of the fleet was being used seasonally for certain markets that were needing LNG during their during their winter. Okay. And then the rest of the, the year, they're trading as conventional tankers. So there was a uh, period where the FSU market was long and rates for these units were, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing rates that were kind of a break-even for, for ship owners. 
And the standard rate prior to the war was around what, 90 we're, to 100? So yeah, so standard rate, we're looking around, depending on the type of unit, or between 90 to 120. 90 okay. to $120,000 a day. And what's break even? Um, and right now we're looking at break even, depends on you know, when the when the unit was built. So we're maybe 85, 85,000, okay. 85,000 a day. But now rates after after the, the, the breakout war in, in, in the Ukraine, and we're looking at rates pushing around 200,000 a day. And this has resulted in a lot of these uh, ship owners with units that are dedicated to certain projects, but certain projects that are underutilized. They're starting to, starting to have discussions with these with these project owners saying, hey, uh, we see that, you know, the, pro the, the tankers bringing in one or two, uh, the FSRU is bringing in one or two cargoes a, a year. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any, any certain discussions? Is there any way we can maybe arrange something where we can pull this uh, FSRU away from this project? And do the contracts allow for that? There, the, yeah, if, if both parties agree, yes. If they agree. If both parties agree, yes. There was an instance uh, with Hogue. They had they have a unit in India, and in their contract, they were supposed to um, make a uh, payment by a certain date, and that payment fell on a weekend. And we're looking at that contract being a null and void right now. Okay. They, so so Hogue was watching this very closely because it's uh, they knew that you know that vessel, the rate that they were getting for that vessel with that with that contract in India was nowhere near what they could get for on spot on the spot. Well, in, in the European market right now. Okay. So right now they're going through the court systems in India because the, the Indian uh, terminal owner did not make payment on time. And Hogue is now threatening to take the vessel, which is stationed in India right now and, uh, and try to push it into one of the projects in Europe. And are all these, it, if I have, an FSRU sitting in another part of the world and mm -hmm. want to bring it to Europe. Is there tie-in? What, what do I need on a tie-in basis yeah, so that's, to to go to, to to move it to Europe, or have all those call it terminals, for lack of a better word, been plugged up? Yeah, so that's the big question right now, and a lot of client questions coming in uh, regarding the pipeline capacities in Europe and how to tie in uh, FSRU projects into these uh, into the network. I feel like there's been a, a push for FSRUs in Europe from uh, the government side to say, hey, look, we're doing something. They're showing, say, hey, we, we signed up for this uh, project. We signed up for this FSRU. We, we've chartered in this FSRU. And now they're kind of thinking about how do we start, how do we, how do we connect this, this FSRU uh, unit up to the grid? So right now, they've kind of gone ahead and locked in the unit, and now they're starting to focus on, okay, now we have to build us, uh, pipeline connections from the port where, where the unit will be stationed into the uh, into the gas grid. But right now they're just using it as floating storage? Right now there hasn't been any, any since the war has broken out, there hasn't been a new uh, FSU project commissioned. They've only, they've only signed uh, charter agreements. So signing the charter agreement says I'll take ownership, not ownership, but I'll take the vessel or committed to the vessel for this, uh, for this period. Okay. Uh, so they, so they've just basically uh, reserved the unit. Okay. So that's where that's where we're at right now. So we're, we're we're seeing these European nations reserve the units, and now they're trying to figure out. Okay, now now that we have it reserved, how do we uh, develop the project? 
Okay, so <laughs> they're up against the clock. Yeah, so they kind of they kind of jumped. Uh, you know, they 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 went. They instead of going from step one, two, three, they went okay, step three, and now they're focused on one and two. Right. Uh, and well, in some sense, that makes so they've got the supply security out of the way, and now they just unit. need to get it off the boat into the grid. They, so they got they they secured the unit, the FSRU unit, mm -hmm. which was you know there was a frenzy, this uh, this frenzy for uh, trying to secure a unit. Because sure. there's a limited number of FSUs out there. So they all signed deals, uh, long-term deals. To and when is the earliest delivery? I mean, and it's at the end of this year. So it's June now. So no, you've got it, six months. It, it was, it was, it was going to be end of Q3. Oh, um, wow. Some some of the uh, these energy minister, uh, ministers were saying end of Q3, they're going to be importing LNG with these new units. We'll see about that. Because uh, they need to develop the infrastructure to get it into the grid. They need, the they need there has days. there has to be some kind of infrastructure build out at the marine facility. So some jetty build out. Mm -hmm. If it's not there already, you have to have a pipeline connection from the FSRU from the loading arms off of the FSRU to the uh, to an interconnect somewhere on the grid. So there has to be some kind of infrastructure build out. Okay. It's not just kind of a, a plug and play. There's there's a uh, there is some kind of development. And where are the hurdle? I mean, is you, you hear about supply chain tightness across the world right now and labor tightness? Yes. Money and time can mm -hmm. money can solve a lot of the problems. Is this a problem that money can solve, or are you still running it? Can you not get the expertise to build the infrastructure, or can you not get the steel, or is there something else that's preventing it? On the infrastructure side, that's I don't think there's there's too many hurdles there in terms okay. of uh, accessing. Uh, uh, the necessary equipment for 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 the infrastructure build out. Where you're going to see the the issue is more on the environmental side, the environmental uh, environmental permitting to, uh -huh. to get this done. And I'm assuming, and uh, as many of these project developers are assuming that they're that they're going to be kind of uh, expedited in order to get these units there to start supplying gas to to Europe. So that's kind of I think that's that that's where the big hurdle or the big question mark is in terms of the environmental aspect in Europe, specifically in Europe. Are there other areas that you can just move the supply into just to get it into the European grid that maybe isn't say if, if the country sponsored one of the uh, FSRUs, mm -hmm. could that country move it to a different area to get it into the grid? Or is that not in anybody's interest, or at least not in the, the buyer's interest? I think it's uh so right now, so Germany was the first mover into this. Okay. So so they they've gone ahead and secured four FSRU units, um, and it's in their best interest to keep those units in German waters. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you had the Netherlands move in with a unit. Italy has two units. Uh, Finland uh, secured a unit. Albania secured a unit. So everyone's moving in to secure a unit for their for for their country. Okay. And Worth you know from our discussions with some of these FSU ship owners, they're pretty confident that the environmental hurdles might be um, they they'll start to these nations will make it a bit easier considering the situation. Okay. Um, but going back to to other hurdles like infrastructure hurdles, I think um, that will that won't be that big of an issue since the big cost. When you look at a when you look at a, uh, an onshore terminal, an onshore regas terminal, your big your main costs are going to be the storage tanks and the mm -hmm. regas equipment, and everything's already provided on an FSRU. So all you really need is the marine jetty, okay. uh, which 
in many uh, ports in in Europe already have already fitted to you know, to ex have jetties fitted to receive large vessels like these like these FSRUs are quite large vessels and uh, deep water ports dredged deep water ports which again a lot of these uh, European nations have the the deep water ports to facilitate this kind of these these kind of vessels. So the engineering hurdle is uh, yeah, so much. Yeah, engineering hurdle isn't so much, but again, it's just a matter of how quickly they can get this uh, get this going. With some of the timelines being end of Q3 2022, as very very ambitious, very ambitious. And who are the firms that if if I am Germany or the Netherlands or some of these other countries that you listed, who are the firms that are going to get the work to to build out um, these um, docking stations? So the the ship owners, the FSU ship owners, uh, over the past few years, we've seen them try to get more involved in the whole uh, value chain, the okay. whole FSU project value chain. So, for instance, uh, Accelerate Energy, mm -hmm. you know, they started off as a as an FSU ship owner, and you know, they they would build and then charter out and collect you know, their your charter day rate. Over the years, they've realized, okay, there's potential in being involved as being the FSU owner, developing the infrastructure, and even now uh, supplying LNG. So we've seen that we've seen them do this in Brazil uh, okay. recently, where they secured a contract uh, in the Bahia uh, state to uh, to supply an FSU and supply LNG into the uh, into the in, into the country. Okay. And uh, so they're a good example to say like, they have an engineering team that can uh, go in there and say, okay, we can uh, we can do the whole package. Okay. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and they're winning two on that two hundred thousand dollars a day. Yes. That rent goes to the ship owner. Yeah, they go to the, the ship engineering owner. Yes. goes to the ship yeah. owner. Yeah. And um, I haven't heard of them being involved on the supply side, but they could potentially be a supplier as well. Okay. Yeah. And how many firms is this? If you got accelerated, so you have accelerated energy, you have Hope, you have uh, Gaslog, uh, Golar, New Fortress Energy. So there's there's a handful of uh, MPW. Uh, there's a handful of uh, of established FSU players out there. Um, and are they specialists, or do you have some of the uh, other LNG players who have exposure to FSRU? Yeah. So for instance, your I think Accelerate would really be the only FSRU specialty, that's all they do. Okay. That's their that's their specialty FSRUs. The other ones I've mentioned, like VW and Hogue and uh and and Golart, they they're involved in conventional LNG shipping and FSRUs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But how about like Exxon or some of the Yeah, um no, no, no. They would be they would be the ones uh partnering with with these with these companies, uh okay. chartering these vessels uh, if they would have if they had a project in mind. But um it's it's kind of been these uh, handful of players have kind of taken the lead over the years and kind of established themselves as the uh, FSU uh specialists. Okay. Yeah. And so what's the expectation kind of longer term? Like this is obviously kind of a a special circumstance that would yeah cause it's, to go it changed things. it changed the FSU market overnight and is it game changing where, where this it, will change things permanently or is it all dependent on the disruption in supply as a result of it this war or perhaps others yeah so or other supply constraints not necessarily other wars that so kind of stepping back a bit so the the, the beauty of the FSRU was you know the, the way they pitched it 
was this was an LNG supply solution for countries where they might have troubles securing financing for a land-based terminal. Mm-hmm. So imagine uh, in, in certain countries where you might have uh, country, certain country risks in financing a, a land-based terminal, a permanent land-based terminal. Mm-hmm. The FSRU solution was kind of came in and said, okay, this is, you know, if something ever happens, we pull anchor and we can, we can, uh, we can sell away. We can yeah. sell away. Yeah. So you saw a lot of uh, FSU projects being developed in, uh, in the developing world. And then now with what's happening in, in Europe and the Ukraine, it's kind of your, that's been kind of put on the back burner. These, these projects in the developing world being put in the back burner. And now they're looking at these higher, higher rate of returns on, in, in, in the, uh, in the developed world and in, in, uh, in Europe. But at the same time, we're not seeing, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're not seeing any uh, anyone step up and put in an order for uh, a new build. Because the signals, uh, the, you know, the market signals are saying, hey, you know, the demand seems to be very short term. The, okay. the, the, the gas demand in Europe seems to be very short term. That's that's where all the discussions are happening. It's like what's happening for the next, you know, uh, gas demand in, in Europe for the next three years. How about on the retrofit option? That that if you you mentioned that there, there's retrofit option, you can it's, it's you can you, retrofit uh, the retrofit of a, of a conventional energy tanker does take the lead time is 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 uh, quite shorter than than a new build, uh, but again you're not even seeing uh, much on the retrofit side. So this, I mean, if we're looking at this in the grand scheme of things, um, and maybe this is a, kind of a good place to kind of wrap up the discussion, but in the grand scheme of things. This is a short-term tightness with really no real solution, given the the, the two to four year lead time on yeah. a new build, and the the uh, I guess that the next level of activity is going to be at the port development, where mm-hmm. where these countries who have taken delivery yeah. of the FSRUs need to scramble. Yeah, it's to get into the market. exactly exactly. So so we've already seen um, there's been eight projects that have secured FSRUs. What's happening is you're going to see just uh, underutilization of an asset. Okay. Yeah. You're going to see an underutilization of an asset where during this frenzy of just trying to secure an FSRU, the discussions with the discussions between the charter and the uh, FSRU ship owners, they were kind of pushed into signing longer term contracts in order to secure the deal. Mm -hmm. The ship owner is always going to want the longest term right. deal as you know, possible. So they're kind of, you know, in these discussions, they were pushed into signing these longer term deals in order to secure the vessel. Okay. Um, as opposed to signing a three-year deal, the ship owner is always going to go for that longer term deal. So we did see these uh, negotiations undergo these, uh, uh, include these longer term charter, uh, charter deals, which might result in an underutilization of the vessel, but these countries, at which at the time when these when these negotiations were happening, we're seeing forty dollar premium BTU gas prices. We're saying, okay, let's let's secure let's secure this let's secure okay. this vessel, uh, and we'll deal with the under underutilization down the road. Okay. Yeah. And typically, most most regas projects, when you look at your your peak capacity, they they are underutilized quite a bit. And it's the optionality yeah. that yeah. you're really looking yeah. for. Yeah. Well, good. Well, this is a super interesting kind of detail within the the global gas. Yeah. I don't want to call it a crisis, but the global gas kind of uh, reshaping of markets that you know at least I had overlooked. So, so and, thank you. And this is, as I mentioned, this this event 
that's happening right now in, in Europe changed the, yeah <laughs> complete changed the uh, the FSIU market. It was one of units being, as I said, units trading as conventional vessels because there weren't enough uh, uh, FSIU projects uh, that were warranted. And going from one day half of your fleet uh, underutilized to the next day. Uh, everyone knocking at your door asking asking about your availability. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen um, uh, some units, as we saw in Israel, they've given up one of their units uh, because it was uh, qu quite underutilized and Accelerate Energy was able to recover that unit. And I think that this one is going to be plugged into the uh, project in Finland. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, it, you're, it's overnight this, this industry changed. And just even the LNG industry as a whole, we've seen so many uh, more projects, uh, supply projects, yeah. uh, reach FID. We've seen a ton of uh, projects out in the U.S. Gulf Coast sign new uh, SPAs, secure volumes. So yes, it's fascinating how this one event just completely changed it all. Changed it all in just a yeah. just a few a few weeks. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, and I hope that we can come back and do this again sometime. Thank you. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.